We're in this uh, summer series, walking through 1 Corinthians 13 and looking at the subject of love. And so I want to jump into our text this morning. And uh, I want to look at the, the, uh, the verses that was just read for us just a moment ago. The second half of verse 4 and the first half of verse 5. We're in that section where it says, love is, love is not. And, and we're, now we're in the not section. And so it begins as kind of a review. Love does not envy. It does not boast. Does not, is not proud. And it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. So you kind of remember the last couple of weeks we've been talking about God. God's love. God has created all things out of love, and he has created things for love. Human beings made in his image are to love God with all their being and love themselves and others. And as we've kind of seen, sin messes it all up. Sin is when we turn toward self and away from God. And then we spend our lives trying to meet our need for love through our own efforts, by our own performance, by our own strength, by how we appear, by the recognition that we get, by the houses we own, the cars we drive, we try to meet that need of acceptance and love, the need that God wants to meet for free. And so instead of living God-dependent, we walk in desperation because we're now independent of God, and it's all about us. So we're constantly judging, we're competing against one another, we want recognition, we want resources, and so we sink to the level of the animal kingdom where it's the survival of the fittest. So 1 Corinthians 13 says we first begin to envy, envy comes along. And if you remember, envy is the result of what happens when you are living a life in the competition game trying to meet your own needs and somebody else is doing it better. And you want what they have, so you envy. When you are not living out of a center of faithfulness to God, you begin to envy. And then that leads to boasting and pride. They show up. Boastfulness and pride, they go hand in hand. Two things we always do when we try to live independently of God is we display and we hide. We display when we are boasting. We're like peacocks fluffing our feathers. Have you ever seen a peacock where it just kind of opens up its, its tail and its feathers and it just walks around like, look at me. Have you seen people like that in real life? They're peacocks, all right? Look at me. And we do it to get attention, to get recognition and worth. And the peacock fluffs its feathers. But being proud is when you begin to really believe you're the peacock. Become the legend in your own mind. You believe your own press releases. You really come to believe in your own performance. And then you treat people as a means to an end. As Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 13, you dishonor others. Several translations simply have, you're rude. You're rude. You're rude to others. Because people are no longer image barriers to love, but tools to use. And you use people. 
And you no longer see them as God sees them. And before long, you are self-seeking, the text tells us, which is an insidious version of being selfish. When you're self-seeking, you will do good to be seen doing good to get praise for doing good. You're self-seeking now in all that you do. And all of this blocks love. It blocks the love of God and the love of others because you cannot give worth to someone you're trying to get worth from. Those are two mutually exclusive things. You see, love, when it is genuine love, is always humble and self-sacrificial. And the opposite of love is to not love. It's the refusal to love. Fluffing your peacock feathers and believing you're the peacock. Well, there is an account in Scripture about Jesus and a peacock personality. It is one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture because of a simple line that is in the text that I love. And I want to get at that. So it is found in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 and, uh, through 50. And I'm going to read the account for you. This is an account you probably have heard or are familiar with. Uh, but I'm just going to read it. And uh, this is where it begins. Luke 7, 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say amongst themselves, who is this who even forgives sin? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, to get the full impact of this text and understand it adequately, it's necessary to understand the social etiquette that is involved behind this story. Jesus has been invited to the home of a Pharisee for dinner, probably a very well-to-do Pharisee. And as a visiting rabbi, as a teacher, Jesus would have been the guest of honor here. 
And there would be certain rules that could just be taken for granted as a matter of course at a dinner like this. For instance, the customary greeting for an honored guest uh, like that would have been a kiss. If the, guest, uh, if the guest was a person of equal social rank, then the host would greet the guest with a kiss on the cheek. If it was a person of especially high rank, for example, if it was a child greeting a parent or his disciple with a rabbi, the disciple would kiss the rabbi's hand. And to neglect this, the kiss of greeting, was the equivalent to simply ignoring somebody. It'd be like having somebody over to your own home, but never saying hi, never acknowledging their existence, not shaking their hand. Now, another part of the first century Middle East etiquette involved the washing of feet. The washing of feet was mandatory before meals. Feet got dirty. And if a guest was of high status, you would do it yourself. You would wash your guest's feet. But if you didn't do it yourself, you would have your servant do it. Or you might simply give them water and ask them to wash their own feet. But that is somewhat offensive to do that. And then you might also give your guests some olive oil. So they could have put it over their head. Really inexpensive olive oil. Just kind of refresh themselves. But here Jesus comes as a visiting rabbi and nothing happens. None of that happens in our text. There is no kiss of greeting, no washing of the feet. And you've got to understand, these were just not simple, subtle omissions. Jesus is being ignored. He is being insulted. And it's quite deliberate. This was intentional. Simon is using Jesus. This was an intentional slap in the face. And the tension would have been rather high. This is a very explosive setting. And then we're introduced to a woman. Luke tells us in verse 37 that she was a sinner. No more details than that. And she hears Jesus teach. And it comes to her that even she, a sinner, is loved by God. And so she stops to think, God thinks of me not as a sinner, but he thinks of me as a daughter. Someone to cherish and to love. And she hears Jesus, this wonderful and wise teacher, talk about how the kingdom of God is now available on earth, wide open to anybody, and she thinks, even me. And then she hears that this Jesus, who has taught about God's love, is at a dinner nearby. And you can imagine what it takes for her to walk into the courtyard. She has to gather up every ounce of courage that she has, and she sees Jesus and she is just undone by love. But then she sees how he is treated by Simon. How he is being used by Simon. How he is ignored, insulted. And she can't stand it. And all of her love and devotion and anger well up to the service. What can she do? Well, imagine the drama, friends. Just... Picture this scene for a moment. Jesus is reclining at the table. In those days, the table would have been real close to the ground. They wouldn't have chairs as we think. They would have cushions, kind of like sofas. 
And everybody would recline, maybe leaning on an elbow, and their feet would be far away from the table. Their body would be stretched out away from the table with their feet farthest away. Jesus is reclining like that, and this woman comes up and stands at his feet, and everybody is watching. She was not invited. She's not part of this party. And she kneels down to kiss his feet. And she looks at Jesus. And instead of judgment and ridicule or embarrassment, there's simply love. He loves her, not as an object, but as a daughter, as a friend. And she is so undone by this that tears come just a few at first, then more, and then before she can do anything, they're just pouring down her face. And verse 40 says, Jesus answered him, Simon, look. Look what she's doing. Can you imagine what happens for this woman? She is completely undone as she looks at Jesus, her Savior. And then she sees how he is treated by Simon. And she's just pouring out. Some of us have known tears like this. You know, Jesus' feet, unwashed by Simon, are now wet from her tears. Have you ever had your heart touched by Jesus to that point? And she begins to wonder, how can she dry his feet? There's no use asking for a towel. Simon isn't going to give her one, not in a million years. And so her impulse is she lets down her hair. And again, this is a shocking breach of etiquette. In those days, women always wore their hair up in public. It's not allowed to hang loose in mixed company. And she uses her hair to wipe her tears off Jesus' feet. And then Luke says that she has an alabaster jar of ointment. Now, an alabaster jar is not something cheap. Alabaster jar, the word here is the alabaster os. These are made in Egypt out of quartz. We were able to pick up one of these on our trip when we were in Egypt. I'm contractually obligated to mention my trip in every sermon for the rest of this year, by the way. But this is an alabaster jar. It's made out of soft quartz. It's a thing of beauty. When you light it, you see the details that are in it. The salesmen do this all the time to try to sell them to you. But it's actually a beautiful piece in and of itself. But it's a beautiful jar to hold something of value. Typically perfume or makeup. Or ointment that would be used when someone dies. This is what she has. It's kind of a clue to who she is. And I'm not going to tell you because that's a whole different sermon. But she brings what she has of great value. She breaks it, which is a way of saying she takes the seal off of it. She pours it on Jesus' feet. Simon is watching all of this and, of course, this is not the way he set this dinner up. This is supposed to be about him. Focus is supposed to be on him. 
Now it's turned on them. And Simon becomes upset. And he says to himself, well, I guess Jesus must not be it after all. If he was a, a prophet, he would know who this woman was. He wouldn't let her touch him with a 10-foot pole. But Jesus knows all about who the woman is. And Jesus knows all about who Simon is. And so Jesus says, Simon, I have something to tell you. And the implication of his words is this isn't going to look pretty for him. Simon had pronounced judgment on this woman. She's a sinner. Simon has pronounced judgment on Jesus. He's an incompetent teacher. Simon has gotten it all wrong. And so, in a sense, Jesus is saying, Simon, in a very gracious way, I'm going to give you another chance to get it right. And so he says, tell me, teacher. And Jesus tells a parable. This one's really brief. Jesus said two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One debt looked manageable, carried the illusion of manageability. The other person knew he was completely desperate. But in both cases, both of them are unable to pay. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both, in verse 42. Now Jesus says, which of these two is going to be seized with humility and love for the one who has graciously set them free? Little debt guy, big debt guy. Jesus is making it so simple for Simon. Kind of humorous. And Simon sees where this is heading. So he says in verse 43, Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. And Jesus, I think with a whole lot of humor, says, you've judged correctly. Way to go, Simon. You figured it out. And then comes one of the great conversations in all of Scripture. And I wish I knew how to convey the drama of it fully. But Jesus has been talking with Simon and has been talking with everybody else at the table and this woman has been at his feet the entire time. But it says in verse 40, if you look at the text, then he turned toward the woman. Everything he's about to say and do is with him looking at her. Simon and all the people at the table are now behind them. He keeps talking to them. He keeps talking to Simon, but he faces her the entire time. His eyes are fixed on her, and her eyes are fixed on him. She has boldly loved Jesus, and now he's going to boldly love her. Because that's what God does. You have to picture her as these words are being spoken. Her eyes lock into Jesus' eyes, just beaming, full of all kinds of emotion, probably embarrassment, shyness, a sense of being unworthy, but just radiant love. And Jesus, her champion, her advocate, her friend, looks at her and he says, Simon, do you see this woman? Because Simon has not seen her. She's there. She's standing for all to see, but Simon does not see her. 
He does not see what Jesus sees. He never saw this woman. Nobody around the table saw what Jesus saw. And Jesus says, I think one of the most powerful words in Scripture, do you see this woman? And they all look. And Jesus keeps looking right at her. I came into your house, Simon. You did not give me any water for my feet. And even here, Jesus is being so gracious, so humble, and loving to Simon. He doesn't say, Simon, you didn't get down and wash my feet. He simply implies, Simon, you didn't give me water to wash my own feet. Jesus is so humble and gracious in this. You didn't give me water for them, but this woman not only made sure my feet were washed, she washed them herself. She didn't just give me water, she washed them with her tears. Again, he's just looking at her. Simon, I came into your home and you didn't give me a kiss. Again, he's being so gracious. He didn't say, you didn't kiss my hand, which is what a student should have done to a teacher. He says, but this woman from the time I entered, she hasn't stopped kissing my feet. He says, Simon, when I came in, you did not put oil on my head. This woman anointed not just my head, but my feet. Not with inexpensive olive oil, but expensive perfume, broken, poured out. And then Jesus says these these simple words. And again, he's just looking at this woman, just him and her. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. That's why she pours out everything she has. That's why her tears bathed his feet. That's why she wipes her tears away with her hair. That's why she just can't stop kissing his feet. Because the one who has been forgiven much loves much. Because the one who opens their heart becomes humble and fully honest before God gets their heart healed and set free and filled with love. Simon, Jesus says, again, looking at this woman, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. You see, he's dealing with this great difficulty, which is that Simon perceives himself as a peacock. In such a self-centered way, willing to dishonor those who he should be loving, proud and boasting for his audience, Simon believes he has little sin. This is what makes it so hard for Simon to be overwhelmed by grace. Simon really does think that God is getting a pretty good deal when it comes to Simon. Simon thinks of himself as a small debtor. Therefore, he cannot love. Simon refuses to love. You know, there is a sin in this story. But it's not the one we think of. It is not the sin Simon thinks it is. The sin that is never really mentioned in this story is displayed all over the story. 
It is the sin of lips that won't kiss, knees that won't kneel, eyes that will not weep, hands that will not serve, perfume that will never leave a jar. It is the sin of a heart that will not break. It is a life that will not change. It is a soul that is so stubborn, a man who is too proud to love is the biggest sinner in the room. The greatest of all the commands is the command to love. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the greatest sin is the refusal to love. Simon, don't you see? You're the biggest debtor of all. If only Simon could see it. If only he would just fall to the ground at a humble heap beside this sinful woman. If only he would see and feel pain over his sin as she does over hers. If only he could be overwhelmed that Jesus loves him in a way in the midst of all of his selfish lovelessness. If only his tears could start to flow and mingle with hers and they would bathe the feet of Jesus together, then he would realize that he and she are just brother and sister in the fellowship of forgiven debtors. She desperately needed grace for a heart that was broken and he needed grace for a heart that was hard. Who is the biggest debtor, friends? It is you. It is me. No matter how long you've gone to church or how respectable you are, your debt is plenty large for you to be overwhelmed by the grace of God when you see it. I spend many a days being a peacock, thinking about I, focused on me and not on others. But God calls us to lean into what we are made to be, to love Him fully, to love each other completely, to be broken, poured out for all. It's what Jesus did on the cross. It's what He did. He went to the cross, broken, poured out for love. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father God, I pray that you will help each and every one of us to come to realize how much we are loved by you. How we have been created by you to love. That we can't fully experience life without love. We can't fully experience you without love. We can't fully experience community together without love. God, help us to stop the pursuit of independent living and to be seeking to be dependent on you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our strength. Help us to put away self not to think less of ourselves, but to think of ourselves less 
and to think of others. Help us to use our gifts. Help us the things, to use the things that you have given to us to help others. Help us to follow our teacher, our rabbi, our Lord and Savior Jesus, who himself humbled himself and came to this earth and ultimately broken and poured out for us. Help us to live in his example. Give us the courage to do it. Help us to make the changes we need to make. Help us to see others as you see them. Give us new eyes. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.